Good afternoon and welcome to TerraTech's Fiscal Year 2018 Financial Results Conference Call. A replay of this call will be available at www.smallcapvoice.com and it will be archived on the Investor Relations section of the TerraTech website. Before we begin, please let me remind you that during the course of this conference call, TerraTech's management may make forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on current expectations that are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. These risks are outlined in the risk factor section of our SEC filings, in which our 10K will be filed tomorrow morning before market open on March 15, 2019. Any forward-looking statements should be considered in light of these factors. Please also note as a safe harbor, any outlook we present is as of today. Management does not take any obligation to revise any forward-looking statements in the future. With me on the call today are Mr. Derek Peterson, Terratech's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Mike James, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I would now like to hand it over to Derek Peterson. Derek, please go ahead. Hey, Phil. Thank you very much, and welcome, everybody, to our full year 2018 earnings call. The full filing will be out in the morning uh, pre-market, as well as a letter to shareholders that's going to more kind of in a granular level articulate some of the things we're discussing today as it uh, looks forward to 2019 and 2020. So let's jump into 18 real quick, and then I'd like to take a little bit of time and talk about the company in its current state and talk about what our fo focus for uh, uh, future growth is for 19 and, and rolling out into 20. Uh, 18 was a challenging year, and it wasn't just a challenging year for us. It was a challenging year for California operators in general. And that, that, those challenges came from a, a handful of different areas. The biggest piece of it was a change of regulation in California. That was a very frustrating change for a lot of the operators here. Uh, the morph in regulation several times, the change of the bill, the things we were allowed to do, then we weren't allowed to do. The entire uh, 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 state of California was basically under flux for the majority of the year. Um, in addition to that, as many of you may know, but some of you may not, come July time frame, they forced a lot of the operators in the California marketplace to divest of the old inventory. So that put a lot of the operators and retailers and wholesalers in a position where they had to move product out at bargain basement prices, sometimes below cost, in order to get only compliant product in there uh, rolling into the second half of 2018. That in conjunction with the kind of existing black market, the lack of enforcement that we saw in 18 shutting down, uh, gray market and black market delivery services, brick-and-mortar retail stores and wholesale operations, all of that just contributed to a very challenging market in California. California itself had a revenue shortfall. Um, the, the inventory adjustments across the board made a, a pretty impactful uh, uh, response to many companies in the space. And then the addition and layering on of taxes. You know, California is unlike a lot of other states, whether you're talking Nevada or other states that have you know, recently legalized where they have a framework that they, they opened up the marketplace into. California had a 20-year history of kind of a quasi-legal market where it was really left up to the entre entrepreneurs to decide how they wanted to build the marketplace out. And we went from that very loose and lax regulatory environment to a very highly regula regulated environment with a very short learning curve associated with it. So one of the things that impacted us most in 18 from a revenue standpoint was the fact that we had to shut down our manufacturing and cultivation for the year. So the most of the revenue or the majority of the revenue for the year came from retail-only centric uh, operations and, in addition to that, edible garden. So for all practical purposes, we were out of the wholesale market for both concentrates and cultivation while we shut down these facilities and revamped them to reopen them, the first of which we just got back up and running, as you saw in the press release about a week and a half ago, our West Grand Cultivation Facility up in Oakland. 
So all of that basically put us in a position where it was just a challenging year for us, and our revenue in 18 reflected that coming in at 31.33 million compared to approximately 35.8 million that we saw for 2017. Um, Edible Garden, you know, to touch on that a little bit, we were selected by Stop and Shop and Giant Landover to supply organic leafy greens to their outlets. We exhibited our complete range of locally grown herbs and leafy greens at the Fresh Summit International Convention and Expo in October of last year. And we also participated in the New York Produce Show and Conference in December of last year as well. So we still have straight strong retail pre- uh, penetration in the Edible Garden division. We still have uh, great relationships with the Walmarts and Kroger's of the world, and we're continuing to expand in that marketplace as well. Let's chat about the company today. Uh, as we sit here today, we have an open and active shelf registration, great ability to access capital for the company on a go-forward basis. We have what we believe is a very strong balance sheet. We have little corporate debt, as we usually do on the books. And most importantly, we have a very clean cap table. And what I mean by that is if you look back at what we've done historically is management converted out all of our B share class, our preferred B class shares, to common shares to align ourselves with shareholders. I'll chat about that a little bit later as well. But the most important factor from our perch is that the company doesn't have any significant warrant overhang. There's no other strange class of shares out there that are contributing to the cap table economically or diluting the cap table economically. It's just a very clean cap cap table and structure from an economic standpoint internally with the company. We've got a strong core, strong corporate governance. One of the things I want to touch on a little bit is the fact that we are now SOX 404 Sarbanes-Oxley compliant. Our goal on the uh, remainder of the year and coming into 2020 as well is to continue to increase and implement strong corporate governance and internal best practices. We want to increase stockholder and shareholder communication as management achieves these different milestones, which we're going to lay out here in a short period of time. Uh, And then from a past standpoint, you know, we structured the audit committees, the compensation committees, and all of the other internal committees of the company that are all chaired by our independent directors. We uplisted, as many of you know, to the OTCQX. As I said to you just a second ago, we converted out all of our preferred Class B shares to common shares. And what that means essentially is it's just a level playing field. It aligned management interests with that of our shareholders. When the stock goes up, we feel it. When the stock goes down, we feel it the same way that our shareholders feel it. We've met the stringent filing timelines for our 10Qs and 10Ks as an accelerated filer. And most importantly, last year, it's our first year we achieved Sarbanes-Oxley SOX 404 compliance in all material respects and having an effective internal control over financial reporting. And we've eliminated any material weaknesses in our operational or financial controls. That is a significant sizable undertaking for a company of our size, but it's really a necessary step that we had to take to be eligible to potentially trade on a national exchange when that opportunity opens up for the MSOs in the U.S. Our goal is to continue to increase and implement strong corporate governance and internal best practices on a forward-looking basis. So let's chat about forward-looking opportunities with the company. We are shifting our focus as we sit today from top-line revenue growth and expanding to all markets in the U.S. to really just focusing on profit enhancement and focusing on one core key marketplace being California. The company is shifting its strategy of pursuing revenue growth to one of pursuing profit enhancement. We're trying to reduce the gap between the company's true value and the current market cap that exists out there in the marketplace. And then also want to continue to make improvements from a corporate governance standpoint. In addition, we're engaged in a fundamental restructuring to improve profitability and build value for shareholders. The strategy is going to be a multi-pronged strategy. Management and the board of directors have completed a substantial review of the company's assets and their respective performance in conjunction with an in-depth analysis of the competitive climate within the U.S., 
Currently, we're exploring some strategic alternatives for certain operational and non-operational assets in both Nevada and California. We're confident we can get a better return on investing capital by redeploying some of these assets. We're working with financial advisors to identify locations or permits that can generate non-dilutive capital that can be reinvested in strategic locations to produce a better return for our shareholders. We've identified multiple opportunities that appear to be more creative use of capital. Let me give you an example on that. We think we could take an asset that's currently on our balance sheet and currently in our portfolio. Let's just say that asset we can get paid $10 for. That asset's returning to us, say, $4 in return. We are seeing arbitrage opportunities out there where we could then take that $10 and go out and purchase something for $8 that's you know, providing $5 in benefit to the company. So the whole point here is taking some assets off the table, pulling in the capital from that asset reallocation and redeploying that capital in a more creative environment and taking that cash and leaving that cash on the side so we don't have to continue to go back to the capital markets on a regular basis. We put together a very, very focused and finite list of material corporate goals for 2019 and 20, and I want to walk everybody through those now. And again, as I said to you before, tomorrow I have a shareholder letter that will be coming out in conjunction with the full filing that's going to very succinctly and granularly articulate each one of these goals and objectives and milestones and the ramp that we think we're going to be able to achieve these over the course of the year. First and foremost, increasing gross margin to a minimum of 45%. Meaningful EBITDA improvement across the board. We want to achieve a 63-plus, call it $63.3 million revenue run rate within Q4 2019. And we want to cease accessing the capital markets by the end of first half of 2019 to fund CapEx and OpEx. I want to run over that again. Our goal and objective is we have one more tranche of financing here, a little couple things to take care of to, to finalize some of the acquisitions that we have in place, like the Reno dispensary, but we want to get out of going to the capital markets by summer of this year. And we want to stay out of the capital markets for a minimum of 12 months or until the stock makes a material recovery and we're at a market cap that we think is consistent with the company's true value. So in addition to that, we want to continue to enhance corporate governance. We want to streamline operations and headcount. We've already made significant reductions at the corporate level. We built the company up in early stages for the ideology that we were going to raise a significant amount of capital in the U.S. markets, deploy that capital, and become a true multi-state operator. Obviously, the majority of that capital flowed through the CSE, not the OTC, but now our focus is on how do we best align ourselves with the capital that we have available with the market cap that we currently have without putting ourselves in a position for hyperdilution. And the real way that we're going to be able to accomplish that is by reallocating some of the assets in the portfolio that we currently have into what we think are better, more accretive markets on a forward-looking basis. Uh, as we go along over the course of this year and we start to begin to achieve these milestones, our goal and objective is to have better stockholder communication as we achieve these different variables throughout the course of Q2, Q2, Q3, and Q4 this year. Top-line revenue growth is still going to be somewhat of a focus. We have more permits coming online. I'm going to walk through the architecture, uh, a little bit of what's coming online that wasn't accretive for 2018, uh, a couple of which are a branded delivery service and establishing pop-up retail experience at multiple venues throughout the California marketplace. I'll dig in a little bit deeper in a moment on those. We want to primarily focus on California for further expansion. Again, as everybody knows, it's the fifth, lar fifth largest economy in the world and arguably the largest cannabis market in the U.S. It's also the core and nexus of our company and where our headquarters is located. We're seeing more attractive organic permitting opportunities here, coupled with more reasonable valuations on the merger and acquisition standpoint within the state. 
We also have very strong political, reputational, and operational nexus here within California that I think we can effectively leverage with a sizable, non-dilutive capital infusion from the sale of some of these non-core assets, which I just discussed. Cultivation and manufacturing. Both of these are coming back online in 2019. As we press released again about a week and a half or two weeks ago, we got the West Grand facility coming back online. Uh, the Hagenberger facility is close to being finished here. And then in addition to that, in the Nevada marketplace, we are in full production at our cultivation facility there. We have received our medical license to produce the manufacturing facility and are waiting. We believe we're going to get our adult use license for manufacturing uh, anytime now. We will make sure we update shareholders when that comes to fruition as well. So the point is, is we're going to have an active wholesale market in both California and Nevada rolling into 2019, which is going to be able to contribute to top-line revenue growth in addition to some new store openings and the branded delivery service as well as the pop-up retail experience. So there's several operations that are going to be in very various stages of development throughout 2019. They're going to add to the company's revenue and obviously flowing over into 2020 as well. Uh, the branded delivery service, let's talk about that a little bit. Santa Ana and Southern California down here is a bit of a vacuum. There's a lot of peripheral neighborhoods, whether you're talking Newport Beach, Laguna Beach, Irvine, Mission Viejo, Tustin, that have no plans to open up brick-and-mortar storefronts in the, in the near future. And that basically positions Santa Ana as a hub for Southern California. And I, I X out Los Angeles, obviously, that would say the Orange County realm. So Santa Ana has the opportunity to, to, to service 3 million people in Orange County plus the 50 million tourists that come in here on an annual basis. So we think there's a huge opportunity to establish a branded delivery service. The beauty of the branded delivery service is it really doesn't require any significant capex other than some vehicles and additional staffing and products. We have enough warehousing down here to be able to accommodate it, and the permits that we currently hold allow for delivery. So we are in a pretty aggressive mode of building out that platform from a tech standpoint, from an operational standpoint, from a logistics standpoint. We hope to have some announcements that on the not-too-distant future. Uh, let's jump over into the other, other segment that we're going to be rolling into in the state of California. We're focusing on pop-up retail experience at venues throughout California. Those are going to be concerts and fairs and those types of events. So we're working with a lot of different providers of events throughout the state of California to try to do pop-up dispensaries and retail experiences at these different venues. Obviously, the crowds at a lot of these music festivals are off the charts, and it's a great opportunity for us to use our existing permit base, again, without a significant amount of CapEx, to have the opportunity to have these portable dispensaries to monetize revenue and profitability in multiple markets in California throughout 2019. So we're working on a handful of initiatives there, and we hope to have some news out on those in the not-too-distant futures as well. So with the existing permits that we hold, notwithstanding you know, the hope and dream that we acquire some additional opportunities, we believe that we can grow top-line revenue to $63 million run rate by Q4 2019. Let me walk you through where we think that's going to come from. So with a starting base of $31 million that we did this year, layering on top of that the new Bloom Santa Ana dispensary, we believe will do a $10 million run rate at a very conservative level. Bloom San Leandro contributed nothing to 2018. Adult use is on the horizon. Uh, City Council is uh, favorable towards voting on that next session, which is in the next month or so. So we should see rolling into May uh, with adult use out of San Leandro. We believe that store has the ability to produce a $5 million run rate. Our Hagenberger cultivation, we believe at the very baseline minimum, is going to produce $3.5 million of revenue out of there. Our West Grand location, $2.5 million. 
4.5 million out of our Nevada cultivation, approximately $3.5 million out of our Nevada manufacturing. We're estimating achieving a $2 million uh, revenue run rate out of delivery and another million dollars, which again, we think is a very conservative estimate out of our special events. All of those activities contribute in addition to our baseline revenue of $31.3 million, a 63.3 million run rate coming into Q4. We feel as though management can exercise on this. There's limited CapEx for the remainder of the year. We're through all the cultivation and manufacturing expenses of any materiality. The only additional CapEx we really have for this year is the limited amount for the pop-up experiences, the delivery, and then building out the additional retail. Retail build-outs are a million or a million five. So all the big expenses associated with the um, cultivation and manufacturing facilities are now behind us unless we decide at some point to get engaged and expand in that realm, but we don't have an intention to do that until we get back to a healthier point from a market cap standpoint. Strategy to manage costs and to focus on the bottom line. We're halting accessing the capital markets to fund CapEx and OpEx in the second half of 2019. We expect to use $5 million from the debt facility in Q1 2019 and $5 million in Q2 of 2019. That was the $40 million financing we signed last year. We're going to take uh, a final tranche of that in the summer and maybe another uh, small financing in addition to that. And again, our goal and objective is to not go back to the capital markets starting in the summer of this year and to utilize the strength of the balance sheet to monetize some of the non-core assets and the overlapping permits that we have to monetize those and fund not only M&A, but to fund you know, additional CapEx that we need to finish getting these permits up and running over the course of this year. We're completing that assessment of all of our assets. We're exploring those opportunities to sell those lower-performing assets and to redirect those resources into more accretive opportunities. And we see a tremendous amount of accretive opportunities, especially in the Southern California market. And we think all of those activities as a whole are really going to put the company in a very good position coming into 2020. We see 2020 as probably the most significant M&A market that we're going to see in cannabis historically. We feel like that we're going to see a tremendous amount of activity from companies acquiring and combining with one another to create significant economies of scale. We also think a tremendous amount of the companies that went public on the CSE have very aggressive revenue targets they need to hit for 19 and 20, and we feel like they're going to be scrambling out there in the marketplace to buy people with strong footprints, good EBITDA performance, and strong revenue growth to add to their portfolios as well. And we want to make sure we position ourselves to be available and attractive from that standpoint, first and foremost. But we also want to have a very healthy bottom line so we can continue to exist as a standalone if that's the option and direction we decide to go from a strategic standpoint. The point is this. We may not be the biggest, but we want to be one of the healthiest at the end of the day. And I think with our strong corporate governance, our clean cap table, our access to funding off the shelf, the fact that we're going to leave the capital markets come summer of this year, the ability to leverage the balance sheet to find more accretive assets, focusing on the California markets, looking at non-dilutive activities to increase top-line revenue like pop-up experiences and delivery, all of those types of things we think are going to set the stage for 2019 being one of the most favorable years for the company. And then obviously as we grow throughout the year, we'll see new opportunities that will present them to themselves to us. As we strengthen, as our market cap strengthens, as our asset base strengthens, we think it's going to put us in a very good position coming, coming towards the end of the year. With that, I'm going to turn the call over to Mike James. He's going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the financials, and then I'll come back for some finishing thoughts and then dip into questions and answers. Thank you, Derek. Good afternoon, everyone. I will now provide you with a summary of the 2018 year-end results. For the more detailed results, please refer to the press release that we issued earlier today, 
which is posted on our website, along with the Form 10-K, which will be filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, please note that we compile our financials under U.S. GAAP, including non-operating expenses. For the year ended December 31, 2018, we generated revenues of $31.33 million compared to approximately $35.8 million for the year ended December 31, 2017, a decrease of approximately $4.47 million. The decrease was primarily due to the significant level of taxes that the state of California placed on cannabis sales, which depressed the overall legal cannabis market. Our gross profit margin for the year ended December 31, 2018, was approximately $12.43 million, compared to a gross profit of approximately $10.92 million for the year ended December 31, 2017, an increase of approximately $1.51 million. Our gross margin for the year ended December 31, 2018, was approximately 39.68%, compared to approximately 30.51% for the year ended December 31, 2017. Selling, general, and administrative expenses for the year ended December 31, 2018 were approximately $43.3 million compared to approximately $30.8 million for the year ended December 31, 2017, an increase of approximately $12.5 million. The increase was primarily due to an increase of $2.57 million in employee stock option expense, an increase of $1.34 million in amortization expense, an increase of $1.07 million in legal expense, an increase in rent expense of $660,000, an increase of $460,000 for insurance expense, an increase of $430,000 for security expense, and an increase of $420,000 for local business and city taxes. We realized the net loss attributable to Turtec of approximately $39.75 million, or $0.56 per share, for the fiscal year ended December 31, 2018, compared to a net loss of $32.68 million, or $0.71 per share, for the fiscal year ended December 31, 2017. Now turning to the balance sheet. On December 31, 2018, we had a cash balance of approximately $7.19 million, compared to a cash balance of approximately $5.45 million at December 31, 2017. Long-term debt increased from approximately $6.6 million to approximately $18.3 million during the 12 months ended December 31, 2018. Stockholders' equity for the fiscal year 2018 amounted to approximately $94.8 million compared to $76.8 million for December 31, 2017. Now I'd like to turn the call back over to Derek for his closing comments. Thank you very much. And just again, I want to reiterate the uh, focuses for 2019 and 2020. Management Board of Directors is heavily focused on bottom line, EBITDA performance. Increasing gross margin to 45%, meaningful EBITDA performance and improvement, stronger shareholder communication as we achieve these different milestones throughout the year, launching a branded delivery service starting in the Southern California market and migrating throughout the remainder of California once we have a successful result there, achieve a $63.3 million revenue run rate within Q4 2019, and most importantly, streamlining operations and headcount to mitigate operational burn and cease accessing the capital markets by the end of the first half of 2019 to fund CapEx and OpEx, utilize the balance sheet for more creative opportunities, 
and hope and wait for the market cap to correct to what we believe is a, a dislocation between the true value of the company as we move forward. With that, again, our goal is not to build the biggest company in the world, but to build the healthiest company. We'd like to be the best at corporate governance, have great margins, good free cash flow, and have a healthy balance sheet at the end of the day. We can be an extremely healthy player in what we believe is one of the most important markets in the world, California. Thank you again on behalf of the directors and officers and all of our staff. I want to thank our audit and accounting team for not only hitting the timelines, which are very challenging for a company that's as complex as ours, operating in a quasi-legal cash-based world, but also at the same time achieving SOX compliance for the course of 2018. And with that, I'd like to turn the call back over to Phil for Q&A. Thanks, Eric. Uh, first question, given management's new direction, what is the plan for New Jersey? Well, that may, yeah, that's a great question. Obviously, we've got Edible Garden back there. We've been focused on New Jersey. New Jersey is making some traction now with adult use, uh, and I think we're probably going to see some regulations come here in the not-too-distant future. Uh, we are certainly going to compete for the permits there. The ideology is, is it just makes sense for us to. We've got a strong permitting background at the end of the day, and what we're not going to do is start to build out another nexus there because that's a deviation from the plan that we just outlaid. But if we successfully achieve permits, we'll look for East Coast operating partners uh, that we can work with so we don't have the CapEx and issues associated with it. Or we can monetize the permits, six one half dozen the other. Uh, the point is it's low-hanging fruit. We will certainly compete for the permits, but our goal and objective is very finite. That is rejiggering the, uh, the, the asset base, looking at selling some of these non-core assets, you know, converting out of some of the underperforming assets and reallocating those dollars to better assets and more creative producing assets, use some of the cash on the side so that we don't have to, have to go back to the capital markets at the end of the day. So at the best case, we win and we're successful in New Jersey and we're able to partner or pair a JV with somebody back there, or we flip and monetize those permits in some capacity and capitalize the company for even more opportunity on a go-forward basis. Perfect. Uh, does the company have an M&A strategy in place for California? We do. I mean, we've been here for a long time, and we know all the players. And the beauty about California right now is, like I said, everybody just, they, they got their butts kicked in 2018. And, you know, we watched operators here that were doing revenue that was, you know, 40 or 50 million that had a, a reset, you know, below 10 that are scaling back up. And, and that dislocation just happened because, you know, the people that were doing business with each other in 17 weren't available all necessarily to do business together in, in 18. And so what I mean by that is there may be a retail dispensary that did a tremendous amount of business with brand A, B, and C. Now, that retail dispensary may have, you know, gotten all their licensing together come the turn of the new regulations in 18, but the whole sale brands A, B, and C may not have, right? And so that dislocation caused a tremendous amount of anxiety in the marketplace in 18 and uh, put everybody in a pretty precarious situation. So everybody's digging out of that right now. We're starting to see some great ramps out there. And I think everybody has you know, kind of a mindset in the California marketplace that they need to kind of coordinate or combine or merge with somebody to have some semblance of economies of scale in this new regulated marketplace because the compliance hurdles are just, they're just so significant for somebody that's operating one or two stores out there or doesn't have significant you know, economies of scale or mass in the wholesale market. So a lot of opportunities here, both wholesale, a lot of opportunities here to expand retail. There's some you know, convoluted markets. There's some healthy markets where we're focusing on is, 
is we're focusing on uh, high-end niche environments. So we, we now can discern the difference between a store that's probably going to generate 8, 9, 10, 12 million and a store that's going to generate 2 or 3 million. And that's what I mean by reshuffling the deck a little bit and reallocating some of those assets and taking a hard look at our current portfolio and then reallocating some of those kind of opportunistic capital from you know, where we currently sit to, to doing something a little bit differently in a new market for, for cheaper. Uh, and the scenario that I gave in, in you know, the example was, you know, you know, let's sell something for 10 bucks that's giving us four and buy something for eight bucks that's giving us five. That's the mentality at a very simplistic standpoint. Those arbitrage opportunities are very available out there on scope and scale in the California marketplace. And I think we're pretty well positioned to be able to capitalize on that. And we're going to be very well positioned on capitalizing that if we, if we come out of this asset, uh, uh, you know, this asset kind of you know, sale thing that we're looking at right, doing right now with a successful amount of capital that we could really, really go to market and pull in some very attractive opportunities that we currently see out there. And I, I, I really think, again, the branded delivery service is going to be a huge opportunity for the company to grab some significant uh, top-line revenue as well some significant margins. People are just getting more and more acclimated to delivery as, you know, as, as Jeff Bezos has changed the world in which we all live. Okay, next question. Uh, can you provide an update on the Van Breed lawsuit? Uh, it's status quo. You know, I think we've had you know, a bunch of motions go back and forth and change a venue request. We're entering the discovery phase right now and, and uh, still pedal on the gas as far as we're concerned. We felt as though we were harmed, as we've said, and we want to make sure that we're protecting our stockholders and shareholders at the end of the day. So we will obviously give updates as we did you know, with other pieces of litigation in the past um, you know, as, as we hit certain milestones or certain material events take place. Okay. Uh, can you talk about the West Grand Cultivation Facility and the R&D projects to develop different cultivation techniques? Yeah, that's, that's great. So the, the West Grand Cultivation is attached to the existing Bloom retail store in uh, downtown Oakland. Uh, that was the one that we had to shut down, one of the ones we had to shut down and rebuild. It's back up and running right now. Uh, that facility is going to be used for some genetic testing and that type of thing as well because we have the Hagenberger location that's opening up and we wanted to maximize the footprint there to have as much flower room as absolutely possible. So that one that's associated with Bloom, we are doing a little bit more of a boutique type strategy there. We're producing some proprietary strains and genetics there uh, as well that will be sold through not only our Oakland facility but as well as our San Leandro facility. So we're just using it a little bit more as a, as, a, as a testing footprint to be able to experiment with different strains, different growing techniques, different LED technologies. A lot of the industry is gravitating towards LED. We've got a successful LED cultivation in the Nevada marketplace. I don't know if we've talked about that in the past, but the Nevada cultivation is basically 100% LED, uh, which you know obviously drops cost of goods pretty significantly and makes us more competitive in the marketplace. So we're just testing a lot of different technologies and strategies and genetics uh, at that Oakland facility that will be able to roll out to Hagenberger and obviously pass any of those technologies uh, and advancements over to the Nevada marketplace too. Okay. Uh, do you plan to exit the Nevada market entirely? Uh, not at this juncture. I mean, like I said, we're still sitting down and haven't made any firm decisions of, you know, what's going out and what's coming in. The, the, the point of the whole conversation is, you know, we don't want to have to hammer the capital markets right now. There's just a ridiculous dislocation between what we think is the true value of the company or the, even the raw permitting value of the company versus the market cap right now. So rather than, you know, hit the, the capital markets on a, a repetitive basis, we want to look to the balance sheet. And again, going back to the example that I gave, we want to see if there's multiple opportunities to exchange out existing assets for more creative assets. And I believe that there is. So 
Um, we're going through that review process right now. We're working with brokers, we're working with financial advisors to try to find the most creative opportunities, you know, entities that are kicking off good free cash flow, entities that are kicking off strong EBITDA performance, and entities that are going to create some semblance of economies of scale for us. What we really want to do is, is not have to, you know, operate in, you know, multiple, you know, venues where we've got, uh, you know, different compliance and different advertising rules and that type of thing. So as we sit right now, we have no firm plans to pull out of Nevada as, whole, as a whole, but we certainly don't have uh, any plans to jump in the other 48 states in the country at this juncture. And we are looking at uh, some, some California overlapping permits and some assets as well as some Nevada uh, permits and assets to, to monetize at this juncture to reallocate to, to assets that are a little bit more consistent with what I just outlaid for our 2019-20 strategy. Um, can you recap the number of permits the company has in California? Oh, let's run through them real quick. So we've got, you know, we have our retail facility up in Oakland. We also have the ability to do distribution, delivery, and um, cultivation up there as well. In San Leandro, we have retail as well as an extraction permit there that we may or may not utilize. That could be something else we could either A, monetize, or B, partner in joint venture with. So we're looking at a lot of opportunities like that as well. Coming down here to Southern California, we have four retail permits currently for Santa Ana. Again, we're looking at divesting potentially some of those to monetize those for other activities. Um, we've got uh, two locations that are vertically stacked here. So we have two sets of cultivation, distribution, uh, manufacturing, and delivery permits as well. Uh, and then in the Nevada marketplace, we've got cultivation and manufacturing. We've got an additional cultivation permit uh, that we're selling right now in the, in the Las Vegas marketplace, plus the three retail permits for uh, Decatur, Desert Inn, and then the downtown Reno location as well. So, uh, again, we've got, you know, we've got some overlap, which is, you know, what we're, why we're looking at kind of, you know, monetizing some of these opportunities without having to go back to the capital markets, and we're getting very serious on that. And so, again, our hope is in over the next you know, month or so, we're going to be able to come back to the market and say, you know, here's, you know, what we're doing with a couple of these opportunities out there to showcase in, uh, in a more granular standpoint the actual execution of this model and what it means to, you know, potentially arbitrage some of these, these, uh, these uh, opportunities that are existing in the marketplace right now. Okay. Uh, will there be a national vision for Bloom eventually? Listen, maybe through, through if we do a good job of building out the Bloom brand, and we're getting, again, in California, we've got a tremendous amount of great brand reputation in the markets that we serve. We get a lot of great organic search traffic on the Internet uh, and that type of thing. So, you know, potentially through franchising and or JVs, which is why we will continue to go for permits in other jurisdictions. We want to keep the permitting department busy. Uh, they're, a, they're, you know, they're a piece of overhead, so we want to make sure that they're contributing economically to the company at the end of the day. And so we will go for permits in other jurisdictions. Uh, it's just the operation and the CapEx and the expense associated with that is what we're trying to avoid, at least until the market cap corrects. So as we sit right now, maybe from a branding standpoint, but not from an operational and CapEx standpoint, we're making the commitment to the shareholders to mitigate CapEx and operational expenses. We're making the commitment to shareholders to stay out of the equity markets come to turn to Q2, and we're making the uh, commitment to shareholders and stockholders to re-leverage the balance sheet, look for more creative opportunities, and execute on that plan. We're going to be very, very deliberately focused 
focused this year. And I, I don't want to get out over our skis. I don't want to start chasing opportunities across the country. I want to execute on this. I want to show shareholders that we can double the revenue base of the company between now and the end of the year. We can improve EBITDA performance. We can focus on cash flow. And we can really put some significant capital in the bank for potential M&A opportunities and, and to, uh, you know, kind of focus on additional organic permitting opportunities as well. So long-winded answer, Phil, but we will be going after permits. But as far as ap- operations, CapEx, OpEx, you know, that's not in the cards for this year until we get back to a healthier standpoint from a market cap standpoint. Okay. Uh, last question. Uh, you've mentioned the company's renewed focus on strong corporate governance. <clears throat> Can you elaborate on this point? Yeah, I think I went through that pretty good in the call. I mean, that, that's just it. I mean, if you look at us compared to, you know, any of the other MSOs from that standpoint, I mean, we are, we are for all practical purposes, pretty much ready for, for national exchange. I mean, the price per share is an issue, obviously, right now. But from a corporate governance standpoint, we're, we're the majority of the way there. The SOX compliance was the biggest thing. I don't know of any other MSO that has SOX 404 compliance. Uh, in the U.S. markets, I, I think we're the only one. I'm not 100% certain, but that undertaking in and of itself is, a, is, a, is, is just a huge feat that we accomplished in 2018 with all the headwinds that we were facing uh, and all the macro issues that we were facing. So uh, that's, you know, that's what we're kind of ideally focused on, and I believe you said that was the last question. So, again, just to reiterate to everybody, we're very deliberately focused this year. We're not going to be out there chasing multiple different opportunities. We've got a strong permit base that currently exists in the company that if we just get that up and running, that we're going to achieve that $63 million run rate by Q4. If we have other opportunities that present themselves over the course of the year, uh, that number can hopefully be a lot better than that. But at a very base, significant conservative baseline, I believe that's extremely achievable for management. And we want to focus on EBITDA performance and cash flow performance. It hurts me just like it hurts the rest of the management every time we have to go out and issue shares for financings. And so that's why we've really stopped, you know, converting our B shares over to common shares has a very significant effect. Just psychologically, it puts us into the same category with our shareholders at the end of the day. And so when we're out there looking at how we get from point A to point B, you know, having to you know, go back to the capital markets on a regular basis isn't going to accomplish that for any of us. So we've got a great opportunity because we have some high-value permits and some very significant areas that have tremendous scarcity involved with those, and we have the ability to monetize those and utilize that capital to bring in additional retail into the company in a, in a market that we think is just starting to get its legs underneath it, being California, which, again, we think is not only – the, the biggest cannabis market in the U.S., we think it's the most important, most significant cannabis market in the, in, on the planet. So for us to be embedded there and to get a significant and, and, and valuable brand recognition, both on the wholesale and the retail side, is where most of our energy and focus is going to be going over the course of this year. We have a very, very finite and deliberate set of goals and objectives that we're going to accomplish, and we just don't want to deviate from that, Phil. Okay. That's it. Thank you, Derek. All right. Thank well, you. again, everybody, thank you very much for taking the time today to, to talk about, you know, what, what was 2018. We're all glad that's in the rearview mirror. But, again, to reiterate, I think we've got the best ahead of us. The company is in its healthiest spot that we've been. I think with some of these changes and the rebalancing of the balance sheet, we're going to be in a very healthy position come at the end of the year. And, and we'll see what, you know, 2020 brings for opportunities for the company on a go-forward basis. But, again, on, on behalf of the directors and officers and the staff and the audit team and the, and the financial team with Terratech, Thank you for taking the time. I want to reiterate in the morning the full filing will be out, and I'll have a letter to shareholders that will 
probably more articulately than I did today, explain exactly and finitely what the focus for 19 is and uh, the, the emphasis on getting out of the capital markets come summertime. So I'll leave everybody with that. Have a wonderful day, and uh, we look forward to giving continual updates as we hit some of these milestones. Take care.